0: the guru find out more at bafta.org forward slash (laughs) guru
1: hi i'm Gemma desai and in this special trilogy of podcasts we'll be looking at the world of short film distribution how do you get them seen at festivals cinemas and online in this final episode we're going to tackle theatre distribution how do you get your short film shown on the big screen later on i'll be speaking to two filmmakers who have done exactly that but first, Will Massa hosts this session on the anatomy of a sale, with three people who have plenty of experience in this area. Emma Simpson is company manager at Journeyman Pictures. Rebecca Wolf is producer at Grasp the Nettle Films. And our first speaker is Chris Tidman, the vice president of global acquisitions at Shorts International. Here's Chris on what his job entails.
2: Um, I kind of have three jobs there now. So uh, I do um, acquisitions for Shorts International, which is a distribution company. I do acquisitions for Shorts TV, which is our pay TV channel uh, in the US and across Europe, Middle East and Africa. And we have just recently launched a company called Shorts Factory, which will be producing short films uh, in the coming years or future. Um, and I'll be working on the development side and the co-production and, and the funding side of that. And then Shorts International as a company, um, you know, as I said, it is a distributor, a TV channel. We aggregate short films for iTunes, uh, Amazon, Google Play, all those EST platforms. And we uh, distribute uh, theatrically the Oscar nominated short films every year uh, in the US and internationally on EST and on VOD. EST being? Electronic sell through. So that's your kind of uh, iTunes, Google Play.
3: And VOD being and video
2: on demand. Video on demand. So that'll Amazing. be more like your Comcast and all that kind of stuff. OK, yeah. thank you, Chris. Emma. Excellent.
0: Hi, so I'm Emma from Journeyman Pictures. Um, we distribute documentaries um, at feature length and TV hour, and we also distribute short films. We run a YouTube channel for our short films. Um, It's one of the um, top 10 news and politics channels on YouTube. (coughs) My role at Journeyman in terms of the shorts is I oversee most of our acquisitions of our short content um, and the promotion and publicity strategy for those. Um, And I manage the relationships with um, platforms like The Guardian, um, who we also distribute for and sell content to. Um, I'm a producer, I set
4: up um, my company, Grass Nettle Films. Last year, I've produced three shorts um, with BFI and Creative England funding, in on the fiction side. And then I've worked in documentary as well, working with The Guardian, um, self-funded. Feature documentaries and um, working on another feature documentary with Creative England at the
3: moment. Great, so. Fantastic. We're very much looking forward to getting your perspective from the other side of the fence yeah. in terms of dealing with these <laughs> companies, these <laughs> kinds of people. So. <laughs> um, great. Can you can you just elaborate a little bit then, um, Chris and Emma, on your day to day and mm-hmm. and uh, what you're doing for short filmmakers and how. Your businesses sustain themselves. What is the business model for your for your business, and how, how do shorts particularly work in that in that model?
2: Sure. I mean, look, I th- you know, I think um, we all know sh- the the world of short film is is incredibly hard in terms of uh, of, of, of finding a home for shorts. Um, you know, uh, specifically broadcast. You know, I think um, there are few, very few channels out there who who acquire short film, um, and it's getting smaller. Um, so I think the the value kind of chain is moving towards. E.S.T. and V.O.D. Um, you know, and I think we're lucky because we have the Oscar shorts as well, which kind of pattern, which, which, which kind of adds to our business. Um, and we have, and we have a pay TV channel as well. So, um, so our, so our model is kind of fit. So our distribution business is kind of fit in and, and helped out by the, the, these other platforms. Um, but I mean, on, on a day-to-day basis, you know, I'm, I, I'm on the, I work mostly on the acquisition side of the business. So I'm mostly watching films, looking at films to acquire. I am working with filmmakers on their kind of strategies, um, you know, in terms of what they want to do with their films. A lot of time, it's really, you know, it comes down to two approaches, really, whether you want to have a film that goes online straight away or a film that doesn't, or a film that goes through, a, it's kind of the, the traditional value chain of of a, of a short film in terms of, you know, it's, it's, it's festival-run, then it's broadcast-run, then it's EST, VOD run and then it's kind of internet-run, it's free internet-run, so it, it, it's all down to what you, as a filmmaker, want to come out, you know, want to do with the film. Um, a lot of times it's not necessarily always, always mutually exclusive. You can do both at the same time, but it tends to kind of... A lot of conflict arises, I think, if, but you can be smart about it, and I think we, we, and we kind of work with filmmakers who, who are a bit more savvy in that respect. And, you know, you have limited runs for free on the internet that will boost, boost the film's audience and, and, and create a buzz for it, and then they take it off, and we, and we, we sell it to two, two traditional platforms. Um, but, yeah, most of the time it's, uh, it's all about watching films and... Uh, to filmmakers. <laughs> and
3: where do you watch those films? Are you uh, in the are office? But are, are you also attending key festivals? A lot of festivals. Yeah, a lot of festivals. Of, look, lot
2: of festivals. I, I, in fact, I think uh, this year I've been traveling probably way too much, and I think I'm quite glad now to be back in the office till at least the new year. What are the
3: unmissable festival events in the calendar that you that you just can't not be at?
2: In terms well, it's, of for us, it's, it's Clermont-Ferrand is always a, a, a barometer for the year to come, so we, we have to be at Clermont-Ferrand. Um, I do Krakow I do Cannes I was in Segovia I do um, and bear in mind we, we have an office in, in, in the US so they do all the kind of American festivals so they'll do the Palm Springs the Tribeca's the, the key ones the Sundance um, and then you know I've been kind of doing a lot of because we, we have a TV business as well I do a lot of the TV festivals so MIP and MIPCOM and a few other kind of TV festivals that is more in terms of what, what I look for and there is more kind of editorial content to add to our uh, our channel business so we you know it's our channel is is mostly short films, but we do kind of tour around the film world. We do our own kind of production around around the film world. We follow filmmakers at festivals, um, so it's um, it, it, it's it's a, it's a proper movie channel, but for short films. And your colleague Simon, who isn't yep. here, but who works in the,
3: uh, the kind of he also does activities, but he does sales too. Yeah, yep. When he goes to Clermont-Ferrand, and you're in the videotech or the cinema yep. watching, how? Ha- What's he doing with the slate of short films that he's taken on for the time? Well, it's, um, sales?
2: It was, no, it was Simon only does acquisitions as well. We Simon have we, we have Kimberly Healy, so who's our salesperson now? Ah. She's based in the U.S. and she was our of my friend. Um, so, so Simon um, is is it does pretty much do. So, in terms of the way we split the business, I I work mostly with distributors in terms of acquiring content um, and 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 individual filmmakers. But Simon is kind of our, uh, you know, he, he's our quality guy. He'll go after the, the films that he wants for the catalogue that we think will be. That we can sell to, to to other to other broadcasters and and make some and make some money from. So, so Simon's kind of the quality guy. He also programs for London uh, London Film Festival. So he kind of uses both those hats together. Hmm. Um, and then Kimberly is our salesperson. She's based in the U.S. and she she will travel to our European festivals and she'll be selling our content. So,
3: and she will meet with
2: a a network
3: of yeah. international buyers, buyers
2: yeah. who she's pushing. Exactly. Into. So she meets with buyers, international buyers. She meets with um. I mean, the interesting thing the interesting thing about the last MIPCOM we went to is. You know, having although <laughs> the doom and gloom I about having no broadcast buyers, she has actually made some contacts with broadcasters, broadcasters that don't traditionally buy short films, which are interested in short films. So, I think the view for broadcasters is they don't view it as short film; they view it as short form content, and they're interested in short form content. Now, you can kind of disguise it however you want to, but you know, for us, we 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 can wedge short films. That's that. a short film opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the semantics. Regardless of what they want to call it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's it's all about kind of um, padding out schedules and, and and filling in those gaps. You know, in terms of what you're what you're trying to do as a, as a director of programming for a channel, you're kind of feeding the machine. In- exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and making and it's all about timing. It's all about your your TV half hour, and your TV one hour. And so if you've got a film that comes up short, um, you know you look you're looking you look for the gap, which is why we always say look the best short film is around twelve minutes because that's both a filler and, uh, and, and a and a and a film for a dedicated short film channel. But um, you know if you're making a twenty-two or, or a thirty-minute short film, that's that, that's taking up a half-hour TV slot. So it's not going to be used as filler for a film channel or something that is looking to fill the gap.
3: OK, excellent. Um, Emma, how does that relate to your day-to-day at journeyman and, and the way in which you identify short films that you think could have an audience for your network of buyers or for your platform?
0: Yeah, sure. So I mean, we are purely factual, so we don't do any fiction, and I think we work quite differently. Um, we don't do any VOD, um, and actually in terms of length, we find 25 minutes is actually a really good length. <laughs> um, there'll be a few slots, unfortunately they're getting fewer and fewer all the time, but slots like um, foreign correspondent in Australia that will license a 25 minute piece. Um, and then otherwise our markets are the broadcast markets. So that's really the international news market. And then um, sort of magazine slots, like sort of here we have Panorama um, and those equivalent programs internationally. Um, or on the news side it's you know the 10 o'clock news and they license um, on a per minute basis which um, filmmakers sometimes find a bit difficult to accept when you've beautifully crafted a lovely 12 minute piece and then they take 3 minutes of it um, but that is the reality if you want to, to get some revenue from broadcast and get at least some of your films seen um, and then on the other side we're doing um, online um, distribution um, so that's mainly based through our YouTube channel and then partnering up with platforms like The Guardian, um, The New York Times, OpDocs, and I mean, dare I say it, even platforms like The Daily Mail, um, which um, (laughs) makes me um, want to cry a little bit, but um, they do pay good money for short (coughs) content. So um, again, if you you want to get it out there, a lot of people look at the mail online, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so um, it can be a good way of getting at least some eyeballs on your film.
3: it's Guardian readers who go there to be rude to, because the Daily yeah. Mail people, <laughs> people are on the Guardian, <laughs> so the Guardian readers need somewhere to go to then <laughs> <or something>. yeah. <laughs> So it's all right, you don't have to. Like um. Excellent. And um, in terms of the shorts themselves, do you run a gamut in terms of your tastes or your kind of the genres? Obviously, the factual uh, is quite a, a broad term. It could include anything from reportage filmmaking all the way through to what we would call you know, creative mm. author-led documentary making. Do you, do you cater for all those kinds of things?
0: Um, up to a point, I mean, um, for our full-length documentaries, we absolutely do. On mm. the short side, the reality is that anything that strays more towards the sort of creative end of the spectrum is really, really tough. Um, <clears throat> most broadcasters won't pick it up. Um, it depends, I mean, it, it really obviously depends on the subject. Um, the market is much more leaning towards traditional reportage. Mm. Um, and then it really comes down to access. It can be any subject, really, but the, the bottom line for us is, are you saying something different? Um, if you've made a, a really beautiful report, but it's saying something that's been replicated elsewhere numerous times, y- it will be tough to get sales on that. You mm. might get some traction online um, if you're creative and you work hard at it, but... Um, the stories that really succeed are the ones that kind of approach a subject laterally and come in at a slightly different angle. Mm. And those are the ones that sort of transcend the the difficulties of the market.
3: On your website, it says you've got a network of 6,000 buyers, which sounds enormous. Maybe it's not enormous. I don't know. Or maybe because you are also at the kind of news and broadcast end of things, it it opens up the possibilities. I had understood that... (laughs) buyers are increasingly few and far between for short film content, so I'd be interested to know what range of platforms, buyers, outlets you are selling selling that work to
0: yeah sure so I mean that that figure represents obviously the whole world. I mean mm-hmm. when we take on a short, we distribute to every territory in the world or at least we we try to um and so that's that'll be different news broadcasters and multiple channels in each territory um and then, in terms of other markets um so online platforms mm. um and that can not that's not necessarily a newspaper like the Guardian it could be um charity websites and um, platforms that will pay for short content. Um, A lot of corporate buyers will license your film if they're um, dealing with particular geopolitical issues. They might want to have um, video content on their site that helps to illustrate their cause and they will pay you a fee for that. Um, And then the educational market is quite big for short films. So you get streaming platforms that deal with schools and universities um, who will pay you a license fee for your film um, and then often pay you royalties for um, the number of views and things they get. So then you can expect a kind of longer tail on your revenue as well. Um, So we deal with um, those sorts of platforms and also schools and universities directly Um, will often license your shorts so that they can use it in the classroom, um, have it in their school library, that sort of thing.
3: Um, Rebecca, I'd like to bring you in here at this point. Your latest film which is an iShort. You're currently in negotiations, I believe, with Shorts International (laughs) uh, over the acquisition of your film. Before we get into the the detail of the Shorts International deal specifically, Mm. and Chris has very kindly agreed for us to to pull up one of their contracts later for us to pour over, so thank you in advance for that, Chris. But before we get into that, um, is this your first experience of selling a film? Were you approached by various different outfits, why did you decide to go with Shorts?
4: Yeah, so, I mean, yes, it's the first experience of selling a film. Um, we were approached by a few companies, but actually after coming to this event last year, I always had my eye on Shorts International for because we were in pre-production, I think, with Circles at the time. Um, so I, I liked the kind of sound of the company. Mm. And then I put the company, the Circles, in for Biffa and Simon saw it through that and approached me. So that was that was great. And then we've been talking about how it, originally they were going to take it on just for the TV channel.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but I wanted them to take it on fully for international distribution.
3: And are you just doing your due diligence as a producer because you think I have to do my best to buy the film and make sure that I, I have left no stone unturned in terms of opportunities for exhibition mm. or is this producer experience or are you hoping there might be some money at the end of the rainbow?
4: I think, I think it's a mixture of, of getting the film out there much wider than Dean and myself could do on our own. Um, I think there's a kind of, uh, there's an industry kudos to having your film bought that shows it's a marketable thing rather than just something that's going around. You know, the festival circuit is really great and I think having a success there, but having, showing that your product is something that people want to buy. Is, is really good, and moving on to features, I think that's a, that's a very positive thing. Yeah. some
3: invaluable experience. Yeah. What do you hope that the relationship will be as a filmmaker a, a, on an ongoing basis with shorts?
4: The shorts. I mean, I think just having that weight behind the film, um, in terms of the support they can give, the way that they can push out the film in a way that we can't. Um, just having that bigger kind of. Body in the industry <laughs> out there because mm. um, you know as a, as a small independent film production company of, of myself and my director there's a limited amount you can do with one film whilst you're also trying to push forward your development of mm. your next shorts and your next features and commitment. stuff yeah. yeah so if you've then got a company who's actually taking that on and pushing it out there for you um you can feel like you can kind of relax and go on to the next thing, knowing that that's in good hands.
3: And have you had a frank discussion about what you would like to do with festivals first before...?
4: I mean, we've had a pretty good festival run so far with it. We've, we've, you know, we've been kind of, I think, seven or eight festivals. Um, Philip Ilsen's been hugely supportive of us and um, Shortwave's contacted us through Phil... Um, and did a kind of special presentation with circles at the head of it. So I, we're pretty kind of flexible with with what kind of happens with it from
2: now. And I think the same with us. I mean, you know, we're um, we're surprisingly quite flexible when it comes to, to filmmakers and the festival runs. Now we um you know we'll take a film on at any point on distribution, and, and we're happy to put a twelve to eighteen month holdback on on sales while you guys do your festival run. Um, you know, we've just taken a film on now, which is a great film um, from Norway. Um, and it's doing quite well on the festival circuit now. And it's, but they're going to, you know, they want another 12 months. It's like, well, fine, yeah, just do it. You know, we um you know, for us, it's once you get more kind of festival traction, once you start winning awards, you know, that could really add to the celebrity of the film. Um, but, you know, again, it's, it's not to be all and in all, but it does certainly help. Um, mm. And so we don't mind as long, you know, so we're pretty flexible now on, on.
3: Yeah. And, and needless to say, there are there are various scales of short film sales and distribution companies out there. Some mm-hmm. who might describe themselves as more of a boutique outfit. Sure. Yeah. And your Shorts and International is very big. Mm-hmm. Do you make, you know, do you try to maintain a relationship with the filmmakers?
2: We do. I mean, look, we we have four acquisition execs. So I suppose, in in, in essence, and a salesperson. So in essence, we act as individual boutiques, let's say. Yeah. So you know, I acquire the funds I acquire with. I work closely with my filmmakers. I know Simon works closely with his filmmakers. Hmm. Um, the same with Jenny and Linda, in, who are based in, in, in Santa Monica. Um, and then we always kind of loop Kim in, who's his our salesperson, um, to you know to get involved in the sales. Um, you know, it's um, but you know, it's a, it's a tough business. And I think what you know what what we're trying to do more now in art shorts in terms of distribution is is kind of reduce the number of films that we acquire. You know, because I think you know you really have to have a great film out there if you're going to sell to third parties. You know, it's 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 becoming tougher. Um, so. And, and traditionally, before we've taken on quite a lot of films in our catalogue, and I think this, I think the move forward now is going to be just taking on really good films that are, you know, that are really sellable, or you know, or letting filmmakers know "Look, we'll take a chance on this film, but there's a, you know, but it, it's kind of 50/50 it's, it, whether it's going to sell or not." It's, it's all done. A lot of time, it, programming films comes down to a few factors. You know, having a good film really helps, or if you have a film that that's covering a subject that is interesting or is being is being looked at in the future by broadcasters. So. Yeah, because because Kimberly's in touch with all of our buyers uh, in in France, Europe, and the U.S. They tell her what's coming up in six months' time. They're doing a theme on kind of child abuse or something. So we'll look at acquiring we'll look at acquiring films that will that, that deal with that subject. Team. Yeah. So you know, and that will feed that that acquisition. So it is kind of sometimes it is kind of based on intel. You know, acquisition is based on, on intel that we've got from buyers that, in terms of what they're looking for. Uh, sometimes it's based on stuff that we're trying to do for our channels. So yeah, there's a lot of reasons why we buy it from. But I think in terms of Distribution for third parties now. We're um, we're definitely looking at, at at the more higher end films now.
3: You must have a pretty uh, well attuned instinct now as to what you think is going to work yeah, as yes. a marketable proposition. Can you articulate or break down if there is any difference between the kinds of films that work well in a festival context versus yeah, yeah. the kind of films that you might acquire or which might work better online? Or, yeah. Look, or, I mean, I think
2: generally films that, that get into festivals um, that are. I suppose that our, it really depends, but the majority of festival films don't necessarily work well commercially uh, as, as a model. But some filmmakers get it just right where they make a, com- a film that's both a festival film and, a, and that's a commercial film, um, and those are the kind of the golden tickets that, that we look for. Mm. Um, but I think you know generally uh, you kind of look at the films that are, I mean look, we talking about this earlier. Look, you look at a film, the film's programmed for Cannes, um, you know, and anyone wants to get into Cannes, but you know it's incredibly hard to get into Cannes because the films are incredibly weird and incredibly kind of. <laughs> unsaleable a lot of the time, you know. So they'll go into Can and they'll be, and it's great, but...
3: Heavy art house.
2: Yeah, it's, it no, is really heavy not art not house. Not always, actually, but... Yeah, but it's kind of just... Yeah. Like some of the stuff you're just at, like, what is this? What am I looking at? It's like, it's like I have no idea what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, you know, if you don't understand the film, it's probably but what then, they wanted. But
3: then you had Love is Blind in Cannes. Yeah, you know, and yeah. that
2: was interesting, yeah. <laughs> and, that, and, and, and we were very surprised by how, that that got in because you looked at the rest of the films around and they are all like, you know, <laughs> Love is Blind is like a really well-made kind of, you know, a great comedy. comedy yeah. It's like, that's really
3: strange. A bit of counter-programming. Fact. Yeah, it was, yeah. Someone yeah. just
2: thought he was subversive then, Karen.
3: And uh, Emma, can I bring you back in here? I know you said you tend towards the less creative documentary side of things, but what's your relationship like to the film festival circuit? Is that, is that something you, are you increasingly, going, because of the shift in business, are you increasingly attending those events less than you might have once done?
0: Um, I mean, we do attend a lot of festivals through the year, but not for our shorts. Um, So we do sometimes pick up shorts that have been in documentary festivals. Um, Often they are too creative um, to be likely to find um, the right audiences for us um, in the other markets. But um, generally, we, we don't acquire through the festival circuit for short films we do for documentaries not for
3: our shorts so for doc makers in the audience is there just a general is there is there a case that it's just creative docs aren't aren't necessarily the best fit for what you're trying to do or are they just or just docs online just a bit of a tougher sell (coughs) full stop
0: um it's hard because, I mean, each case is slightly different. I mean, we were talking just before about mm. the short that you um, exact produced a few years ago, Flotsam yeah. and Jetsam, um, and that's actually quite creative stylistically, yeah. and it's not about something that's a sort of hard-hitting it's current issue affairs yeah. issue, is it? It's about... Um, beachcombers. What's it? Yeah, beachcombers. Yeah, beachcombers and this um, yeah crazy island where lots of Flotsam and Jetsam f- washes up and yeah. what the people do with it, and it is... Um, yeah, much more just sort of human interest. And that actually did sell to a few broadcasters around Scandinavia, and it did really well online. Um, and that at face value is a more sort of creative... It's not news, but it yeah. it transcended that. Um, so so
3: there, is a, there is an area. There is a
0: grey area. Yeah. There's definitely a grey area. And do,
3: you probably don't remember, nor do I, but did it, was that the case of the filmmakers...? Approaching you, or had you seen it?
0: Um, yes, the filmmakers approached us. That was in a festival. That was in the shorts. Um, that festival oh, in Russia's. London in Russia. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, I think, discovered it at the festival. So okay, that's an, that's so an exception to the rule. It does. does happen, but rarely.
3: And can filmmakers send you? How? What is your? How do you deal with um, uh, unsolicited material, or do you solicit material?
0: Um, Both, so um, I'm always um, happy to be emailed with um, any shorts and I'll always take a look at them. Um, So we do deal with new people all the time and it's great when somebody new contact us and they have a nice story and we can work with a new partner. Mm. So we're always open to anything unsolicited. Mm. Um, but then we also have filmmakers that we've worked with for years on multiple stories. And we also distribute for outfits like um, The Guardian and various broadcasters around the world. So um, we deal with those sort of um, industry outfits as yeah. well as independent filmmakers.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: And, and can anyone send you a film?
2: Absolutely, yeah. 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 And we have a kind of an online submission... Form you can fill in if you if you want to, but you know, it's a lot of work for I mean, you can just send me an email with your link. Mm. A lot easier.
3: Okay. <laughs> I think it's so what so what normally happens is you see a film you like, you approach the filmmaker, and if, if that conversation goes well, you will you will send them a document. Mm-hmm. The the contract. The contract. Um so which I, gonna... I know from experience can be a little bit befuddling it can be. for the uninitiated. So I'd like to now, if possible, bring the contract up.
2: It's our contract, by the way. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm, sitting, I'm, going to, I'm, go. I'm going to tell you what to negotiate on this and I realise that D- you're, yeah. going to, you're going to renegotiate with Simon on, on Monday. Um, so I think if you just scroll down to the, kind of the, 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 the box of rights, is probably the best place to start and the percentage shares. Talk us through that. So that's kind of the key thing that you're going to negotiate really with us. Um, those are kind of all, all the rights that we require um, for Shorts TV and I assume most of you know what most of those rights are, um, but I'm happy to afterwards talk to you through some of those. Um, so what is negotiable? The key thing negotiable on that is exclusive to non-exclusive. So we don't mind having a wholly non-exclusive contract as long as you don't appoint another distributor. Um, you know, what that allows you to do is allows if someone approaches you directly for a sale, it allows you to do the sale yourselves and not have to share the revenue with us. So, so you are the
3: only people that can represent, you are happy for, for, for the filmmakers to look for other ways to exploit their film yeah, as long as, as you as are the only people as long as we are the only people representing <laughs> yeah. them.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So I think, because nothing worse than having two distributors approach a broadcaster with the same film. And it's It's confusing, it's embarrassing, enough, yeah. so we try to avoid that. The other negotiable bit on that is the percentage share. So, um, you know, we're, um, because we're quite a large entity, you know, we, 50-50 is, is our standard model because we have a lot of overhead and a lot of things to deal with, but... I think What are your overheads? Well, all of us. <laughs> <laughs> all of you pay, well, but also it's it's things like going to festivals. So going to festivals, <laughs> it's uh, the, the technical team that kind of prepares stuff because we don't send stuff out of house to prepare all of our formats for iTunes and Amazon. We do it in house, so. We have kind of an in-house technical team. We do a lot of in-house production on stuff. We do a lot of editing, if we need to, in terms of censorship editing to the film and stuff. So all that is done in-house. So uh-huh. we have quite a bit of overhead in that. So respect. that's
3: where in the 50. When my amazing short starts making money, the, the money comes off the top, and 50% profit
2: mm-hmm.
3: revenue yeah, comes goes, back to you to cover all those costs. Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. Um, okay. And so, but that, but it, it is negotiable. So you know, for 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 the Oscar nominees and that, we we, we go down to 70-30. Um, in, in your favour as a filmmaker. So th- there are, it really
3: is. Is that 70 30 on all those rights? On or, all those rights. Or, yeah. On, yeah, and if I've said, oh, I think I've got really strong theatrical potential for my short, could I negotiate an itemised.
2: You could do, yeah, absolutely. If look, I, was I think. A, uh, playing hardball. If you want to, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And look, everything in life is negotiable. Um, and I think, you know, it's one of those things, I mean, people say it's not negotiable. Well, it is. Because <laughs> if you really want the film, you'll negotiate yeah. So. Yeah. okay. So, um, yeah, so bear in mind. So, it can be negotiated, and I think you'll you'll, you'll get an idea when you're negotiating whether y- you know we're we're keen to go down to that point, or we'll go okay. You know what? Fine. Okay.
3: All right. Um, um, yes. Can we can we go down a little further on the document? So there we've got a keyword, haven't we? Territory.
2: Territory. Yeah. Yeah. So again, territory is worldwide. But you know, example of a film that has now taken back certain rights for us is um the, the, this film I signed from Norway. They they've kept Scandinavia, uh, but only on, on non exclusive basis because they. They obviously are a wild well place to sell to Scandinavia and they are directly approached all the time, so we, we were fine with that. Internet is a big problem for us. You know, we don't want to have a film online for free uh, without kind of mutual consent there um, because you know, that really does kind of devalue the film substantially in terms of broadcast and other platforms if you just do it straight away. We don't mind limited runs like if you did like a quick two-week blast to get some, some interest and then take it off there, but the problem is once you put something online, it's very easily be downloadable and it's very easily um, pirated. So, so
3: do you permit filmmakers an excerpt or a trailer or? A
2: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look, password protected uh, screeners, no problem. We we, we call it a, a pay or, a, a pay or password barrier. As long as it's a pay or password barrier to the film, so if it's, it's transactional, you have to pay for it then it's fine. Um, the other negotiable thing is the term. The term. Um, this is how long you
3: acquire the film yeah, for yeah. before
2: the rights revert yeah. back to the yeah. filmmaker. Exactly. Yeah. So actually, this is one of our older licenses. Our, our older contracts, because um, our lawyer has now put in 10 years, for <laughs> which he would like. And it's the first thing I would say to filmmakers, listen, don't worry, <laughs> it doesn't have to be 10 years. And I hope he's not here. No, OK, good. Um, <laughs> so we always say um, the best deal which I would say you negotiate is always a 3 year rolling contract. So you give it to us for three years. At the end of the first term, you decide whether you want to keep us as a distributor or not. You send us a termination letter if you don't, and then we hand the phone back to you. Otherwise, it automatically rolls over for another three years. Um, and that way, it, it, it just kind of, you know, it just keeps going until you're happy, until you've had enough, and you want to take it back. So um, that's where the best bet on that one. And anything else to note? A lot of problems we've been having have, have been the delivery materials because we require quite a lot of delivery materials, purely and again for our channel. Because and you are finding a lot of broadcasters and ESC platforms are requiring a lot more stuff now. Because okay,
3: let me stop you right there. So is this is this? Uh, something that's really key for filmmakers to think about because we talked yeah. earlier at festivals yeah. about the importance of on-set photography. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Still, of, is
2: this now the big thing for EST is having artwork for your film. So if you have got artwork, have a decent photo, or have some decent stills from the shoot, or something, or a decent still you cast, and then we, which we we now have a generic poster poster system you can use to make. So we'll send you that, and you can just chuck in your photo, fill in the details, and it makes a generic poster for you. And um, because all these ESG platforms, our EPG uh, company, which is our, the electronic program guide, which comes up on your like your Sky. It tells you what films coming up. They always in the U.S. They use visual, they, they use artwork, so they have to have a decent poster for that. And you know, the second one of those things is missing, it holds the, the acquisition of the film up for ages. And so we, and music cue sheets. The amount of filmmakers who don't have music cue sheets is phenomenal. Mm. And uh, you know, and I think just all your clearances and all that mm-hmm. stuff. You just have to have it all in place. Um, and you know, and then this is the,
3: what we call chain of title. That's isn't it. it yeah. So that you, so that when, by the time the filmmaker delivers the film to you, you are you are covered legally should anything arise exactly. subsequently yeah. around music or yeah. copyright, et cetera. Exactly. Um, okay, that is really, really kind for you to, to, to let us have a...
2: a oh, and no to negotiate. Quickly, just your, oh, expense, your expense caps, you can always negotiate as well.
3: You can negotiate expense caps. Yeah. So the key things of the contract, just to summarise very quickly, <coughs> are that the filmmakers should be wary about or, or could push back on potentially, are the, the uh, revenue split mm-hmm. between the filmmaker and the company, the exclusivity, i.e., who owns the what uh, yeah. and elements, and what can be done with the film, the territory for where that film is being sold, yeah. and um, the the well, that's sorry, term exclusivity and territory are kind of the key three things. You think filmmakers really need to think about materials, materials when they're, yeah, when materials they're delivering professional. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. anything to add for, for, from you? Does that kind of resemble the, the sort of contract you you use at Journeyman, or is it a bit different? Uh,
0: it's a bit different. Yeah. Um, I mean, only I suppose in terms of, our terms are slightly different, but the the core areas are obviously the same.
3: And is it also negotiable?
0: Um, Up to a point, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, our commission rate is 35% inclusive of all expenses. So we're less flexible on that because that's already quite lean for us. Mm. Um, We sometimes go down a bit if it's something really exclusive. Our term is two years, um, so we're a bit—we're just a bit more flexible. I think maybe because we're dealing with factual content, it's a yeah. slightly different market.
3: And you have a slightly more diversified portfolio, I suppose. To yeah, consider, exactly. Which is purely short. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, Rebecca, I should bring you in for any any insights you've got about the contract, the process. Was it a shock <laughs> the first time that came into your inbox?
4: Or? No, uh, pretty much because of. My time here last oh, year.
2: i already prepared you for negotiating. Yeah, so. yeah. So
4: um, he's not going to come on Monday. It's, it's, been a, <laughs> it's been a good process so far. I, I completely agree with Chris about the materials that you need, and I think that's been a hugely helpful process of um, having done my short films through public body funding. Is that they're really yeah, on you it? Deliver. They make you deliver, yeah.
2: yeah, and and it really trains you to deliver, to have your and that, materials. And just I mean I think just uh, one of the levels we always have in that, and which we started including now, is is, uh, is kind of tags and keywords, which you add to your film, and it's amazing, kind of you know, because people on I, you literally put in, you, know, you want to find a short film with like you know, midgets, lesbians, whatever, you can filter it down to that point, and it'll yeah. come up on Amazon, on iTunes, on whatever. So it's just incredible. So. You know, the more you can tag your film with as many keywords as you can, the better it is for us as well. So, I mean, and Amazon is great. To get angry. <laughs> yes. Sorry, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and I use it at festivals because, I mean, our guys in, in the US, like, you know, I need sex in shorts, and It's amazing the kind of stuff that comes up when you put that in a festival. It's like, oh, shit, no. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, porn filter, no. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah. And how will you pressure them to keep you up to date with what's
3: going on with your film? Or what, what, How how is that going to work?
4: I think just by keeping in contact. I yeah. mean, I'm, Simon has been very easy to communicate with so far and I presume that
2: will continue. Yeah, and we, have a, we, have a, we report every six months. You report on, every six every months? Every six months, yeah. So, look, it, it takes a while to build up sales, I mean, especially on the short film side. And I think, you know, you're looking at average... Once you've signed a film with us, you, six months before, a, you, your first report will probably be a zero report because there'll be no sales activity and it's the report after that way, it starts getting interesting. And I think it's um, it's just one of those things where it takes time to get the film on, on the EFT platforms, it takes time to get the films... Out there to the buyers, and you know, and and they sit there for months. I mean, I know, I'm sure some of you have dealt with us, in, in terms of the channel, and you know, we'll sit on a film and we'll talk to you for three months, and we'll acquire your film suddenly out of nowhere. You'll come, you you'll, you'll get a contract saying we'd like to buy the film. It's be, it's really because something's come up that we want to use it for. Or, mm. It's all about the kind of stunts and and and, what, and where it's 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 required on the channel side. So it, it's a long, it's a it's a lengthy process, and I think you know, you, you, filmmakers needs to be patient in that respect mm. and the good thing you know and, and once it goes on EST on, on our kind of iTunes platforms on Google on Femi On Demand uh, we what else do we deal with and, and Amazon those reports again come in every six months but it's, it's down to the kind of the marketing that you guys do and um it's it's really amazing. The filmmakers that do well on, on those platforms are the ones who kind of just push it out there socially on the social media platforms and and really get it seen out there and, and, and get it and get people interested in it.
3: Good. Well, look, uh, Chris, Emma, Rebecca, thank you for coming up on stage and giving us the, the benefit of your wisdom. Thank you.
1: That was Will Masser with Chris Tidman, Rebecca Wolf, and Emma Simpson. <laughs> To conclude this edition of The Guru, where we're talking about distribution, let's look at two short films that have made it into UK cinemas.
4: Oh. That very testing, I accept
1: that. Because got a Home life. is a story I mean, set amid the good. migrant crisis in the Middle East and Oil Europe, sausage. but focuses on a comfortable English family yeah. Oh, yeah, who yeah, experience yeah, yeah, yeah. a life-changing journey of their okay, own.
4: Okay.
1: And it was also BAFTA nominated in the Best oh, yeah. British Short category at the EE British Academy Film Awards. We're going to be all right. In you go. go right. Heads down. And the second film is Notes on Blindness. The pictures in
4: the gallery of my mind have dimmed somewhat. So I could no
5: longer remember easily what my wife looked like or what my daughter Imogen looked like.
1: Not only a short, Notes on Blindness became a BAFTA-nominated full feature and also a virtual reality experience. I was joined on stage by Afalabi Kuti, the producer of Home, plus Peter Middleton and James Binney, the directors of Notes on Blindness. You guys were used to working on cross-platform projects. Can you talk us through the kind of different elements of Notes on Blindness and how it came to be that you had this really unique element of this short form VR work in cinemas alongside your feature?
6: Yeah, sure. It's um, it's quite a convoluted uh, backstory, but um, I guess the project, the entire project, began about five years ago when um, myself and my co director, James, were researching various kind of first person testimonies on blindness. Um, And we came across this book written by uh, theologian uh, John Hull called Touching the Rock. And in the foreword to that book, it mentioned that it was based on these original audio diaries. Um, And we built up a relationship with John, and I suppose within about six months or so, he'd sent us this box of, of C90 cassettes. Um, on on which he he recorded uh, this incredible kind of testimony. And we knew that it had the potential for kind of a long-form project, but in terms of how to quite approach that, um, both actually in terms of kind of creatively and also in terms of getting people on board um, to support what on paper is quite an abstract concept to film about blindness based on this audio source. Um, uh, there's quite a lot of kind of paradoxical elements in play, I suppose. And so we began taking individual passages and making short uh, short films. And they kind of got progressively longer, I suppose. The first one um, was only three minutes long. That was screened at festivals. That did, uh, did well at festivals. It led to the New York Times commissioning a, a longer short film, um, about 12 minutes long. And that played at Sundance and went out on New York Times Op Docs, which is, uh, uh, I'm sure many people here uh, are aware of. The success of that for- film allowed us to get the, the kind of funding in place to uh, to get the feature off the ground, um, and so yeah, the feature was released in in, in July this year uh, in cinemas. And and in terms of the VR, um, one of our one of our big funders was Arte France, um, the French broadcaster, and we met them a couple of years ago, and they were looking for projects which had a kind of duality, had both a, a kind of an interactive component and also a film component, um, and that led through one way or another, to partnering uh, in a co-production with a French production company who who developed, as you say, this this kind of complementary virtual reality experience, um, which doesn't draw on the same... It uh, draws on the same source material John's original audio diaries, but approaches it in a very different way. Um, it kind of uses... Um, um, John talks very eloquently about the, the process of kind of mapping acoustic space and um, how sound can kind of give, build up a, a kind of a, a picture of um, his his world and environment around it. So so it uses kind of real time three D animation, um, sort of particles tethered to sound, and, and the binaural audio that's perhaps the one of the most distinguishing features of, of virtual reality um, uh, really lends itself to that. So so that's kind of a complementary um, experience that that. Uh, sits alongside the film, and as you say, we were um, both well. Both projects premiered in the UK at Sheffield DocFest, um, and and then off the back of that, we had a I think it was a fifteen cinema tour of the VR. Alongside the film, so the film was released with Curzon, so across the country, and then there was a over the course of about three weeks or so, the, the, the VR was kind of stationed in in, in the lobby of, of, of cinemas um, and did this uh, tour. Actually, sort of split in half, one in the south of the of, of England and, and, and one in the north of the UK and Ireland. Wow. And
1: um, and that kind of brings me interestingly the fact that the Arte France the, was the kind of um, reason why this complementary project. Um, happened, Afo, to you, which um, to talk a little bit about how the financing came together for Home, um, which is quite interesting because you had, um, I mean, you can talk about it, but you you had some um, quite um, charity-focused yeah. funding, right?
5: Absolutely. So the origins of the project were from the director Daniel Malloy and. He works with a festival called DocuFest and he does their campaign every year. Uh, he's been doing it for the past four years now, I think it is. Um, and this originally started out as a film, which would be one of the interstitial pieces between the uh, playing a feature at the beginning of it. They were like, look, the idea for this sounds great, but we think the budget's gonna be much bigger than what we can actually afford. Um, so uh, they put him in touch with different UN agencies, uh, USAID, Soros and Everyone kind of like gave a little bit of money mm. um, towards it because they liked the idea of backing the story, which was around migration. So it was still a personal story, an indie film, but they were going to put some money behind it. So that was a good chunk of the budget. And then uh, Dan sent the project to me. Uh, and at that point, Jack O'Connell was already attached to it. Uh, and I was trying to find more partners in the UK because of to still do it all, we need more people in there. So I partnered with commercial production company called Some Such and also a um, commercial agency called um, BBH, but they had a new production outfit called Black Sheep Studios in-house. So a lot of the film was actually a lot of in-kind support. Mm. So all post-production was all free and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, and that's kind of where the financing came together for it. Um, but then on top of that, we got support from people like Freud to the PR for us for free. and. Um, uh, distributors also came in to help in different ways as well. So,
1: so the, the sort of bone of, you know, the, the fact that it was DocuFest who have a real kind of human rights kind of angle to their programming, um, the fact that you had some UN agencies in, in, in terms of the funding. Yeah. How did that feed into your then decision um, to do, and tell us a little bit about the, the decision-making process to get the World Refugee release yeah. here?
5: So there were different ideas in terms of how we were going to release it. Um, and that kind of the film turned out to be a little bit longer than we planned it to be. So it was 20 minutes in the end, um, which also makes it kind of difficult festival circuit. Um, but equally made it difficult to actually get into theaters um, uh, because it was too long for them to put it in before feature films. Um, but um, uh, by the time we finished, we kind of decided the, the major event that was coming up was going to be World Refugee Day. Uh, and if we could get them to theatres and put a trailer next to it, etc, that might get a lot of noise um, to uh, get eyes on the film, as it were. So we kind of had help with Freud's to get the trailer out there. They put it on The Guardian, and it was uh, exclusive to The Guardian for like a day before going on YouTube. Um, also, Digital Cinema Media helped and put their trailer out for us as well for free, which is very good of them. Um, yeah.
1: There's an interesting thing about both of your projects, which um, I thought was really fascinating that they both happened this year, is that there's a real important thing about just um, this magical thing of timing. So there was this real interest in VR in the UK at the time of your release. Um, Sheffield Documentary Fest have obviously been um, doing VR, like the the gallery there for a long time, but there was a real interest from the BFI suddenly Mm. to, to widen the idea of how we exhibit it. Um, and there was also an innovation fund, which I think was yeah. part of it, which is, which was from this way up, which is an exhibition, exhibition innovation um, conference that happens every year. Um, and they were, they're were only two years old, and they'd open this fund, which is you know where the funding for the tour yeah. came from. So there was this kind of moment where. You know, there was all of those things kind of came together, and and after for you um, with home, there was obviously the, this huge interest in the refugee crisis, this this huge outpouring of of wanting to do something, but also you had Jack O'Connell and he had a film yeah. called Money Monster out. Yeah. So there was the, you know, can you talk a little bit about the, the these. I mean, Desperate elements.
5: T- timing is just it, it just happens, and it, yeah. so it's really silly to say that. But there was no way that we actually no, course, planned yeah. to have money. Wants to we don't, we don't we don't decide when Sony are going to release their own movies. Um, and um, even when Daniel had the idea for the project, I had a couple of years before the crisis got to its peak. So when it was actually all over the press, at one point we we're thinking actually everyone's gonna just be turning away from this because they've just seen so much of it. Maybe we're gonna have to like delay it or figure out another way of um, uh, getting the film out there. Um, but yeah, so timing sometimes just comes to you without you planning for it. Um, and you can also wait for it. If you know there's a certain date that's coming up in a couple of months, whenever your film is coming out and you know something's gonna happen, then you'd be like, well, just wait, and we'll just wait for that moment because you can ride the wave from that point out. So, yeah, so it was, just, it was just a bit of luck. I know it mm. sounds so terrible, but that's film. <laughs> it was just lucky that we all came together, mm.
1: really. Um, and for you, with this interest in this kind of experiment yeah. that you'd been asked to, to do yeah. on, alongside it.
6: Yeah, I mean, looking back, I suppose, over the entire process of our, of our production and um, the development of the project, I mean, there's, there's many points where... Um, where where things have sort of come together Um, specifically around the VR it wasn't actually the project initially wasn't developed as a virtual reality piece Mm. it was was developed as a kind of 360 experience to use on your tablet or smartphone still had binaural audio Mm. and I guess throughout 2015 there was at film festivals there was rumblings around VR and um, it seemed to be that there was a, a movement in that direction. And so we kind of, in effect, re-engineered the project then, to, at some effectively involved starting from scratch in many respects, to get it out as a VR piece alongside the film. So, um, yeah, and then the, we were the first project with This Way Up, I think, that mm. was supported by This Way Up, so that is just for, for timing. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's, uh, I guess there was many points along the way as well. We were very fortunate to get the New York Times involved, when we did, which was initially in, in the short film, the second short film, um, which was really the, the launch pad for the feature film, without that, we would still be kind of scrabbling around, I think. The meeting with um, Jason Spionkoff, who used to run Op and has since gone to Netflix, um, and Kathleen Lingo, who now runs New York Time Op Docs, happened quite fortuitously at Sheffield Doc Fest back in 2013. Um, and, you know, he, he had commissioning power and um, like the project and through a lot of resources well you know, not necessarily monetary but certainly publicity resources behind it um, so yeah there's there's many moments I think if you look back over the journey you know, <laughs> so
1: and <laughs> <laughs> um, given that you know so much of this was about timing I mean we're going to drill, drill down in the specifics of it in a second but is this something is there, is there a way of working that has come to you from this experience if if a lot of it is you know fortuitous it's just like quite exploratory which is fascinating in itself but is there something that you've learned from this process that you'll take into your next project or has it made you more ambitious for your next project in terms of um, where you would like it to be seen and how you would like it to be seen
5: I think for me I can say that really there's there's no more rules anymore um, in terms of because of a lot of people do watch short films online now. You don't need to just limit yourself to say, we're just doing festivals. And actually we did, ours parallel to that. So we kind of knew when we had to do the festivals first and then we could start doing the theatrical one in the UK once we already had a UK release, et cetera, in a festival. So it's, it's kind of, you can now pick the best route for your film and who you think the audience will be for your film. Um, So festivals are great and they do give you lots of exposure and can lead to great things for your career. But if you can get a way to get YouTube or Vimeo or maybe even set up something through VHX or something like that, your own sort of platform for your short, um, but it's down to having access to marketing and publicity will be the main thing that helps you there. But there's, there's no rules now. I think that's the great thing for everyone really that can be like, well, if the festival's saying, I can try something else.
1: Um, and- I mean, I mentioned that you used to working on cross-platform projects, really. Was it unsurprising for you that this journey happened because of that? Because you're not so tied to some sort of festival journey or theatrical journey or, you know?
6: I guess we were always, whenever James and myself approached it, uh, a project I suppose we tr- and, and increasingly now looking back over how things have played out with notes and blindness we always try and work out what the best kind of creative expression of mm. that is or medium it would be so yeah I think we really need to sort of build on um, on the point just now is, is yeah just to be open minded to, to what it would, not only in distribution but also creatively as well because um, there are huge opportunities out there at the moment I mean just to reiterate the the, the point about the potential market, the potential kind of reach of, of online. When we released our short film with the New York Times, um, I think the, the hit rate on that is something like 500,000, which is vastly more people than have <laughs> have been to see our feature film um, and probably will see it even when it's released in the States, you know, until that goes online. I mean, it's, it's huge. And, and, and the interest that, that that... And the, and the doors that uh, that opened up, not just in terms of funding, but also in terms of kind of building a sort of a network of supporters and stakeholders mm-hmm. who, could, who could help <laughs> further the project um, was really huge. So off the back of that, we were able to get um, the Royal National Institute for the Blind on board... Um, yeah, and, and and really try and yeah, coordinate uh, a much more kind of considered um, outreach um, yeah, I, approach.
5: I wouldn't say it's just about just placing it online and like, like let it grow, it's gonna no, happen. The, yeah, yeah. There's gotta be work done with all of that <coughs> in terms of when you place it, who you place it with and how, Everyone can find out about it. Sure. You know, and I, I still don't understand that entire space, but there's mm. people who are dedicated to actually just doing that. Mm. Yeah. Um, and trying to find those people who are interested in your project and support it would be something that I'd mm. definitely encourage. That's
6: a really good point, actually. So since we released Notes and Blindness in July, we made another short film which kind of catches up on the last kind of two decades of John's life, told through the um, from the perspective of his daughter. And it was commissioned by Arte. To coincide with the French broadcast of the feature film, it's quite complicated. Nonetheless, that's a short film that is up online on our website and on Arte's website. And I don't know how many people have seen it, but I, I'd say it's probably in the low thousands compared to yeah. a platform like the New York Times, who actually has a kind of mm. reach. Uh, reach. Yeah. So yeah, the, the con- considering which platforms go through is, is absolutely huge. Yeah.
1: And in terms of the reach that. Um is there any way that you can measure the reach of the the VR showcase like what we well, what were, yeah. what, were your, what, what did you have ambitions for it was it just like an add-on that was nice to do um or did it add anything to your feature like it, it, what what was your experience of that and how did you have much input into which venues it went into and things like that
6: We didn't have input into okay. the venues no it was um, so I, I I, as I understand it was co-financed from the BFI mm-hmm. this way up, Sheffield Dockfest and Curzon, yeah. um, all of whom probably had quite strong opinions uh, yeah. <laughs> about which <laughs> cinemas uh, to go in. Um, I mean, if, if if you think that anything goes with short-form distribution, uh, you know, the same as we've said for virtual reality it is very much in its kind of infancy. And mm-hmm. so people are experimenting with different ways to try and get it out there. And I think... I don't think I don't think it's the touring around cinemas is necessarily a, uh, will, will will take off. We're starting to see some spe- specialist virtual reality spaces open up, um, and that could be one thing. But I, I I can't see how it's particularly practical for someone to drive a, a case full of headsets yeah. around cinemas. It was um, yeah, it was it was a bit of an experiment, I think. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that's still being, as I understand it, that's still being evaluated um, to what the effect was. I mean, in terms of publicity it was very helpful yeah. for both projects because they were able to partner them together. So,
1: mm. yeah. um, and yours was a slightly different, more, kind of more traditional way of getting your short into cinemas. Can you take, yeah. talk us through the process and what, who you worked with, yeah. what you did, how you chose the venues?
5: Yeah. So the first thing was that because there was no we're trying to make money from the film, that kind of like freed us mm. to kind of do anything we wanted to do. And it made it easier for people to say yes to something because it's free. But even having that, there was still difficulty. How did, sorry,
1: how did you get to that point?
5: Okay, so first thing was uh, coffee and cigarettes. Mm. Uh, Eduardo Pinizo, who's a friend of mine, he used to work at Revolver. Um, he had spoken to some people from Picture House that he knew, so whether or not they would take the film. Um, at the same time, I had spoken to David Shear, who was also an ex Revolver person, and asked him if we could do some um, lobbying for us within Picture House. Um, and I knew Claire Binns a little bit. I'd met her on a panel a couple of years ago. So kind of like, it was a triumphant of people kind of talking about the same movie, saying you must go and watch this and you must program it. Um, and House were the first ones to come in. So as soon as you had the picture House saying they're gonna show it across all their theaters, that was kind of like a great jumping off point to start speaking to everybody else. Um, and then we spoke to Everyman, we spoke to the independent cinema office, um, BFI South Bank. Um, and the kind of difficulties that we had was, because our film was 20 minutes long, um, if you had a short film, they wanted to try putting three, sorry, if you had a, a short feature film, they wanted to put three of those showings on a night to get our film in front of it meant that they would overrun their closing time. So we couldn't get in front of those films. So it was just when they had a long film playing and they would only show two of them, then we could get our film either before or after it. Um, so that limited somewhat to what films we're going to play in front of. And because of the content of the movie as well, they were kind of like, we need to play it within something that has a humanitarian sort of storyline to it as well. So Some people were a little bit more flexible on that, depending on what sort of theatre they were. We didn't approach any of the Odeons or anything like that. They just weren't going to be interested in doing something like this. It was too difficult for them to move that beast of a machine to um, uh, fit home into it. Um, but we ended up getting about 70 um, screenings across the UK. Um, for that week and there were some people who came in and then jumped out for whatever reason um, and some people just didn't return any phone calls um, or emails um, So well, after
1: was, agreeing to do it
5: um, After agreeing to do it people then said oh we can't do it for whatever reason yeah. but there were some people I was trying to get hold mm. of to who I thought would take it on who just mm. did not respond at all um, so even though we are giving the movie out for free um, and then also we used a company called Motion Picture Solutions um, which is basically kind of like Netflix or Amazon in theatres. Um, I'm sure they have it here as well where you, they, you upload your film to them and then they'll show it across all the theatres in the UK that has their box basically. So it makes it very easy for them to distribute it all. Um, so that was the way we got around getting it into theatres cheaper than creating all these DCPs everywhere.
1: And did the decision to give it up for free? And to get it to that wide audience and did the decision to do the VR element, did that come from the partnerships that you'd brokered very early on? Like It seems like there's a real line between where it ends up with audience from all of the decisions that you're making very early on.
5: Um, yes in the sense that we knew we wanted to try getting a large audience to watch it mm. and trying to figure out what the best route would be whether or not we just released it online through Vimeo or YouTube and try to get them to do a special takeover day or whatever it was going to be um, but we decided we probably could actually hit them up again two times by going to theaters first and then going online after um, and a lot of people came on board because we were doing everyone was doing it for the love of the story and yeah helping people out so that kind of that ethos kind of like fed through to the exhibitors as well Mm. Um, and it was just about whether or not they had the time to fit it in Mm. and that's the way that that worked
1: and we're gonna have to leave it there but thank you guys so much for being here thank Thank you you guys for your great questions
0: thanks for listening to part three of this three-part series from the Guru. You can hear the other shows by subscribing. Just search for BAFTA's The Guru in your podcast app of choice, where you'll also find a huge archive of episodes covering the making of films, TV and video games. Thanks to Gemma Desai, BAFTA and the British Council. The producer is Matt Hill at Rethink Audio. Until next time, goodbye.
4: The Guru.